0: Subject ACT with me, Hedda Murray. Subject ACT brings you stories from your local Canberra community and beyond, affairs with a global dimension. Now, have you heard of the Little Bob series of children's books? If not, stay tuned as Sophie Singh talks with the authors, both Canberrans, about their books and their creative process. That story a little later in the show, but for now let's go to Bus Stop Films' Accessible Film Studies program, coming for the first time to the national capital. I recorded this interview earlier with Tracy Corbin matchett Bus Stop Films CEO, on the line from Sydney. Welcome to Subject ACT, Tracy.
1: Hi, thanks for having me on, Hedda. I'm really um, excited to chat with you.
0: Now, Tracy, some of our listeners may not have heard about Bus Stop Films. Can you set the scene for us by outlining what you're all about?
1: So Bus Stop Films is a not-for-profit organisation that's dedicated to raising the profile of people with disabilities and using filmmaking and the film industry to do that. So we do that in three ways. We educate. We deliver a full-year accessible film studies program with a focus on um, young adults and adults with intellectual disabilities. We advocate. So we advocate for change in the screen industry through authentic casting and greater inclusion of people with disability working on both sides of the camera. And we create, so through our programs and with our students, we create amazing award-winning film content that screens in festivals and TV all around the world.
0: Oh, fabulous. So the Accessible Film Studies program is something that uh, I'd like us to be able to break open a little bit today. Can you give me a sketch of the program and what's coming to Canberra?
1: So the program is a full-year, 40-week program. It's a tertiary-level program. So students learn what you would learn if you were studying film studies at TAFE or an early-level university course. It's just delivered and designed in a way that it is broken down so it's more understandable for someone who might have a mild to moderate intellectual disability. They cover all types of filmmaking, um, theory and practicals, so they look at mise-en-scene, lighting, sound, scripting, casting directing and then through the program uh, the students make a short film with their class tutor and they also get an opportunity to work with industry professionals who come on board in that in those crew roles um, to create the film then they work in the post-production through their program so they learn around editing uh, and sound design and then we enter the films in festivals and where we can we will send students to film festivals all around the world Um, to represent bus stop films and the film that they've made, walk the red carpet, participate in industry um, questionnaires like any other filmmaker would do. And through the program, we also support students into workplace opportunities on commercial and professional productions.
0: How do you actually put a program together like that? Do you have workshops, excursions, mentors, those sorts of things?
1: All of that and more. So the program was designed by our co-founder, Genevieve Clay-Smith, who's an award-winning director. And it was developed um, in consultation with the Australian Film, Television and Radio School and with support from Sydney Uni around ensuring that it was educationally sound and designed in a way um, that reflects um, best practice in education for people with intellectual disability. And so the students go through... um, a weekly class program. It's broken up into four terms, and we deliver it. Um, it is delivered by professional filmmaking experts. So they come into the classroom. They deliver it from a. It's been delivered by a tutor who has experience in filmmaking, has qualifications in filmmaking. But the classroom is also supported with a support worker who is there to assist students with any learning needs, any other in classroom support that they may need around um, behaviour or, or other practical support. So. Mm-hmm. It is coming first and foremost as a film studies program and film studies education, which has supports in place for people with disabilities. This is a professional-level film studies program. So students um, that attend our program go on to work in the screen industry. We've got students that are working on feature films, on productions. We've had students this year work on editing in Masterchef, in casting in Survivor, working on... um, other projects where they go along and they're working on both sides of the camera so they might be helping out as a production assistant or a camera tech or working in editing. Mm -hmm. Um, And we find also there's a lot of other transformational skills that come out of the course for our students in terms of literacy, English, um, work ready skills, confidence, uh, engaging with others, developing friendships, all skills that they can take into other aspects of their lives.
0: Mm -hmm. And you've teed up with Screen Canberra I believe.
1: We have, which is really exciting. Um, When I first met with the team at Spring Canberra earlier um, last year now, um, they were just so thrilled to have us uh, connect because they see that there is a need for um, supporting filmmakers with disability in Canberra, and it was something that they were having uh, difficulty um, responding to. So we've come to them with our known program and, and 10 years of success to partner with the ACT State Screen Agency. And it's a really great time to be working with Screen Camera because they are backing some amazing quality productions. Um, we've just had the success of um, Total Control, which just blew everyone out of the water. Such great performances by Deborah Mailman and Rachel Griffiths and hopefully gets back up for season two. So it's a really great time to partner with the ACT government. Green Agency because they've invested um, quite a lot of money in local production which then gives a pathway to employment and opportunities to set visits and excursions for students attending the program.
0: Okay so there are good work opportunities in the film industry here in Canberra?
1: Oh absolutely there's a lot of independent production companies, there's a lot of um, event-based production but also Canberra is growing in terms of where it Seen in local production and on an international scale. I mean Total Control um, premiered overseas to a rousing audience and it was really well received so it's a great time there is Canberra based stories but there's also Canberra based production so we're really happy to be partnering with Screen Canberra to deliver our program
0: And something that's uh, I understand that's new just for the Canberra course is an Indigenous student scholarship. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah we've Very grateful to the Canberra community. So last year, through the funding network, um, we were able to fundraise for a pool pool of funds for the Canberra program that would cover uh, a film production and support works for students on um, who may be engaging work experience, as well as funds to support a four-year scholarship for an Indigenous student to attend our program. We're very committed to um, increasing the way and. We support um, people, Indigenous people with disabilities, to attend our program and what we do as an organization. And this is a really great way that we can do that. Students generally fund their participation in the Accessible Film Studies program through the NDIS. Mm-hmm. But we know from our communication with the NDIS and myself working in disability community that the take-up rate for the NDIS of Indigenous families is lower than the rest of the community. So in order to sort of provide a level playing field, we're offering this scholarship so that if someone is not yet engaged in the NDIS, they can still attend our program um, for the full year for free, which is valued at over $5,000. Um, and then we'll be able to assist them during that course of the year to perhaps con- to connect to the NDIS for-, for future program enrollment and other opportunities in their life. Mm-hmm. So we've got that information on our website. And that's just for our Canberra program. And those funds were raised by Canberra um The Canberra community, local business people, and people interested in in supporting community programs came along to that funding network evening evening and contributed to the funds that are covering that scholarship. Oh, that's fabulous. That's really
0: um, great. It's a real community based and community involved operation then.
1: Absolutely. We've had great support from the Canberra community. When I first started these conversations last year and we like to take our time in building a relationship with the community. Um, the community there really got on board. So um, people with disabilities, ACT, Down syndrome, ACT, Screen Canberra, National Film and Sound, Archive, as well as the business community through the funding network, the Snow Foundation, Canberra Airport, PWC, really backing us and seeing there's a need. We do have a connection with Canberra. We um, produced a film there in 2010 called Beautiful, which features a young woman with Down syndrome and another young guy, Peter, who's actually um, going to be attending the program.
0: Now, one of the other standout films Bus Stop has made is The Interviewer, which I believe has won a number of international awards.
1: It has, it's a film starring our ambassador, Dorado Dwyer, and um, it really showcases um, the bias that people have around disability and what we can achieve when we remove that and work together and just look past the disability to the person. It's a gorgeous film. It was made in 2012, and um, sort of towards the end of last year, it had a resurgence online and was viewed. By over 40 million people internationally oh via God. Facebook, which is just fantastic, and mm-hmm. it just—it's a timeless film. And when I encourage everyone to watch it, it is on our YouTube channel. The interviewer, or you can um, sure you can see it on Facebook, and um, it hasn't lost its magic at all.
0: And Rachel Griffiths is also involved with Bus Stop Films.
1: She is. We were very excited at the end of last year on our showcase to announce that Rachel had come on board as a patron. She is a brilliant advocate for marginalised communities and has done a lot of work um, in her career um, championing change and being a great advocate across many issues um, and a lot of work with people with disability in theatre and screen. And um, Rachel is just a, a great creative mind, a great producer, actor, director. She wears many hats. But her work in directing um, Stevie Payne in Ride Like a Girl and how she was able to bring... Him into his character and bring it to life. And um, as a director, you know, working with non actors can be a challenge. And she just brought his role so well to the screen and he delivered it so beautifully. And we're just really thrilled to have Rachel's support um, and what she will bring to raising the profile of the work that we're doing in terms of inclusive filmmaking and authentic casting, but also raise the profile of people with disability in the screen industry and be a great advocate for us. So we're thrilled to have Rachel on board.
0: Yeah, so um, she's really raising... Well, that and the interview are really raising the visibility at at the local and international level, which is fabulous for Bus Stop. It is,
1: very much so.
0: And how can people find out more about this program and register their interest?
1: If you go online to our website, which is just bus.films.com.au, uh, under programs, there's also a, a header bar which says enrolments for 2020 now open that you can click on. And the information about all our programs, including the Canberra program and the Indigenous scholarship are there. Um, follow our Facebook page. Um, you can also find out information about our partnership with Green Canberra through their website as well. The program will uh, start in February and enrolments are open till January 18. And when you complete a form, you'll be contacted by our team, Diana, who will chat to you about enrolment, and we also have a support and engagement manager, Monica, who speaks to every enrolling student and their families and works out what are their support needs and how we can best support them in the classroom, and also to ensure that our program is right for them and that they're going to get out of it what they expect.
0: Thanks, Tracy, for taking time out to talk with us today about this exciting and really solid opportunity the Accessible Film Studies program can provide.
1: Uh, I'm... Thrilled. Thanks so much for the time. I'm really excited about Canberra and I cannot wait to see the film that the students make um, and see it premiere at the end of this year. If you're listening, we would love to have a Parliament House screening um, and hopefully we can make that happen. It would be great to see Bus Stop Film screen at Parliament House but you never know. Well, you know, Canberra one day, the world the next.
0: I've been talking with Tracy Corbin-Matchett, Bus Stop Film CEO. And if you think you or someone you know, family or friend, might be interested in jumping on board, go to busstopfilms.com.au and register your interest. Enrolments close Saturday, the 18th of January.
2: Two XXFM, ninety eight point three in Canberra, or streaming online at two
0: that's right, you're with me, Hedda Murray, on Subject ACT, Two 2XFM. Is there a story in all of us just waiting to burst free? Two local Canberrans have tried their hands at this very venture to create the Little Bob series, a set of lovely stories for children. Sophie Singh caught up with Zhang Ching and Bob Gardner about their stories and the creative process.
3: Bob and Hai Ching, it's lovely to speak with you today. Thank you very much for coming on and speaking with me on Subject ACT.
2: It's lovely to be here.
3: Bob, you've created four beautiful stories You're My Horse, Teddy's on the Line, We Can't Find Alfie, and An Awesome Skateboard Ride, and have done the illustrations. And Ching, you've been very much part of that creative process with Bob. I wanted to start with where the kernel of the idea came from, Bob. Was this something that, you know, writing these stories down, capturing these uh, little vignettes, if you like, was something that had been brewing around in your mind for some time, or was it a light bulb moment?
2: My mate Peter kept nagging me to write my life story, claiming it would be a bestseller. Somewhere along the way, I hit a writer's roadblock, recalled a few funny stories from my childhood and realized it was a better use of my energies. We founded Little Bob Stories to celebrate the wonder of ordinary and not-so-ordinary childhood experiences. I also note that William Steig wrote Shrek at the age of 84, so there's hope for me yet.
3: I didn't realise that the writer of Shrek was um, quite a ripe old age. Oh, I realised that when we were doing our book launch. Oh, okay Hutching, Ha-Ching, how did you get involved? And I know you were very much... Uh, Involved in doing the translation of the stories into Mandarin, but how did you and Bob work together to shape the stories?
4: I began to learn English with Bob, uh, and uh, he encouraged me to write my childhood stories during the period of the Cultural Revolution. And so far I have um, written seven or eight articles um, covering the time from my birth to my 20s. Bob named this uh, Daughter of Dragon. He would also tell me stories about his childhood with friends. I also encouraged him to read it out, and said I can translate into Mandarin, and so that more children can read. The stories were all translated by me. We collaborated every stories discussing a single word uh, sentence are in in registration
3: and the stories that you have written haiching about your childhood are they translated into english yes they
2: are actually in a a way that made it easier for uh, haiching to work she wrote it in mandarin first then wrote it in english and then we discussed the english grammar i didn't try to fool around with the sense of it because she writes in such poetic fashion. Mm-hmm.
3: That must have been a, a wonderful process where you saw cultures meshing.
2: Yes. Very much so.
3: Yeah, an oh, interesting process. So you're published authors, congratulations. When you first had the idea of writing the stories, did you envisage this point where it had come to fruition and you had you know the books physically in your hands?
4: Hutching. Yeah. ching yeah, of course, I'm very happy. I wish that there are more young readers in the world who can understand both English and Mandarin, who like or the interest in our books and uh, our stories. To be honest, at the beginning, I just want to learn English and had a normal idea. Now I'm keen to see our books becoming a key to learn Mandarin. They're
3: a great resource for yeah. that purpose we've done a launch in english one in mandarin
2: presented our books to the national library which is a legal requirement but no less a thrill yeah great and we're speaking to you on radio it's <laughs>
3: wonderful. <laughs> all the hallmarks of success
2: <laughs> the easy part actually was writing illustrating and translating the truly hard job of publishing was done by my wife roanna the book drafts were completed in april we hope to launch in august We actually launched in November. She was marvellous.
3: And she must have also been really satisfied with seeing the project through to the end.
2: Oh, yes. But uh, a number of one o'clock, two (laughs) o'clock. I didn't stay awake that long.
3: (laughs) Bob, the books are based on your childhood adventures and those of your friends and family members. The ones that you've chosen must have been just a few of many memories and recollections. How did you go about choosing those particular stories? The
2: last one first. We felt that we needed four stories to launch Little Bob. Two boys and two girls. You're my horse was a must. Imagine a five-year-old horse thief with every step of the story engraved on my heart. (laughs) After I completed the draft and illustrations, I showed it to my U3A, that's University of the Third Age, art teachers and colleagues. The positive response encouraged me to do more and my friends started to contribute other stories. Teddy's on the line was contributed by my dear friend Barbara who ruefully recalled washing her daughter's teddy and suffering the tears for hours. (laughs) Where is Alfie, the story of a teddy hidden by my father-in-law who forgot where he stashed it, featured Rowanna as one of the searchers. I think I got away with the uh, cartoonish drawing of it. <laughs> An awesome skateboard ride featured my mate Alan, who did the scary deed down Mount Taylor. And recently, we both stood in awe, overlooking the run.
3: And was he amazed that he had actually attempted that skateboard ride? <laughs> he
2: looked and said, I did that. <laughs> yeah,
3: I can imagine. And just a personal memory about Mount Taylor, when me and my sister and brother were much younger, we went for a walk up there with family friends, and as kids do, you race down to the bottom, mm-hmm. and my brother couldn't stop, and he went tumble, 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 and yeah, carried a few injuries from that one as well. So when I read the skateboard story, I had an appreciation of exactly what that would have involved. Well, that was
2: and bailed out at the first bend, but his mate had to stay on
3: (laughs) would have been an interesting ride what's it like to write for a children audience a young audience and what are the challenges around the language you use the illustrations that you'd create to make the stories as accessible and relatable as possible to a very young audience
2: well they're all true stories so youngsters can immediately put themselves in the frame they can say somebody did this so can i for younger audience, i tried to use a bit of repetition, but I'm not perfect at it. We also need to appeal to the adults who read the stories as well as to children, as we're also trying to conjure up memories for adults.
3: That's a good point, that it needs to also be engaging for the parents who are going to be reading oh, to yeah. their kids. Oh,
2: and the grandparents. Yes, of course. One touch is to include end in photos, such as the five-year-old horse thief, hardened criminal that he is, <laughs> and the disclaimer such as, No teddies were harmed in this adventure from Teddies on the Line. My illustrations will never hang in the National Gallery, but they do have a naive appeal for young children. Judy Horacek, illustrator of Where is the Green Sheep, is my inspiration. We had feedback that we needed to put the reading age on the cover to help parents choose appropriate stories. That's very sound advice, and we're going to work on that.
3: So they don't currently have a reading age? They don't age.
2: now because I didn't realise.
3: Okay. Now All I right. do. Huching, I'm really interested about the process of translating. That process is not a straightforward process. You can't simply do a literal translation. Not that I can translate, unfortunately, into any other language, but language has connections to the culture in which it is embedded. With the stories, I can see that some of them, we can't find Alfie and and Teddy's on the line, have a greater sort of universal connection with children's experiences. But I thought that would be less the case with your My Horse and even less with an awesome skateboard ride. How did you manage that translation from English to Mandarin to make it accessible to kids who have Quite a different experience of childhood.
4: Yes, you are absolutely right. And the most difficult are some slang and the children's special language. If the translation is carried out intact, the cultural difference will make it difficult to young readers to understand. And therefore, how can I translate both grammar and words, but also to be interesting and bring the stories to life, let the young readers have similar feelings and the fun as the other, yep. and this is the most the difficult challenge for me yeah. I think these two stories um, may be more interesting to boys: They're the boy and thief. Uh, and uh, also the culture is different, and it may be rare for children to have such experience when they grow up today. Mm, but I still think uh, that boys are uh, naughty and mischievous and adventure majors uh, is the same. So this kind of uh, real, pure and uh, simple happiness and can be shared. So
3: even though some of the actual activities might not be the same, it's the emotional experience, the motivations, uh, like you say, the mischievousness and the fun Mm -hmm. that is relatable to all kids, irrespective of what culture. Bob, of the four stories, i got to say i found You're My Horse most intriguing. As you say, you know, five-year-old horse thief in your words and based on your own childhood escapade, which I assume puts you into the role of the horse thief. It does. And wear it proudly. The central character, apart from yourself, is Harry. Tell me, who was Harry? What was it that he promised you? And what was the consequence, ultimately, of his unfulfilled promise?
2: As this venture is my earliest childhood memory, I still hold it very close. Harry offered me my greatest dream, my own horse. The promise had a definite date, my fifth birthday. So it was immediately apparent that it hadn't been fulfilled. I swung into action within a week.
3: You went and got the horse and where did you take it?
2: Around to my friend's place because I knew mum would be upset about it. Harry of course exploded with dire threats but mum, bless her cotton socks, sent him packing. Mum simply said to Harry, you promised the kid a horse? You didn't do it, serve your right.
3: It's a lesson for us all, I think. You don't make promises to kids that you don't have any intention of carrying through.
2: I'd remember if I got a spank for it, but it doesn't feature in my memory. I mean, one more or less, but hey.
3: That's a positive thing.
2: Yeah, but mum was more amused than anything, and it certainly went into family folklore. It was a revelation to find that horses like eating roses, and I had to tread very warily with Mrs Dickens for a while.
3: You've self-published, and that has both strengths and challenges. Obviously, the strength being that you are able to publish, and it has become much more accessible for authors to self-publish their work. But you then have also the challenge of getting the books out into the yes, libraries, into the bookshops, and for yours into schools. Yeah. What's a strategy in trying to now get your work out?
2: Well, we had a very good relationship with the uh, people who run the self-publishing, Ingram Spark. They take, for every order, $2.40. Okay. It doesn't matter how big the order, they take $2.40. Yep. But you've asked the key question. Marketing's not my strong point, but I have to give it my best shot. Otherwise, no money. Our publisher has a way of exposing our work to many sellers for a three-month period yep. for a fee. So. We're going to try that. We'll test the waters with one book and see how it goes for three months. If the receipts exceed the expenses, we'll do it again. We're also hopeful of gaining a multicultural grant. And Hai Ching will be looking up Austrade when she arrives in China. And we know there are a lot of little kids in China.
3: A possible uh, opportunity. <laughs> Over to watching.
4: Are there more books in the pipeline? We are reaching, um, from China in February. I will have enough material to complete the Daughter of the Dragon, and we hope to publish it next year. Great. We want
2: to include a multicultural series entitled Little Aussies. Mm-hmm. So that will intertwine with the stories we have already, but to include little kids who've either been born into a a multicultural family or have come from overseas I've already uh, asked a mate of mine to uh, chronicle his path from yep. Germany to Australia yep. and um, I've got contacts in several cultural groups to help me gather material but our current plan is for two books a month until we reassess the catalogue at the end of next year so keep an eye on Facebook under little Bob stories
3: two books a month that's ambitious no. Well,
2: I've promised Rowena a better computer.
3: Oh, yeah, that's right, the quid pro quo. But let's wrap it up with a bit of a plug. If people would like to get a set or one of the four books in the set, how can they go about getting that? Well, if you go uh, onto Little
2: Bob Stories... And uh, contact us that way, and we'll hand deliver.
3: Okay, that sounds wonderful. Congratulations, Hai Ching and Bob, on what's a lovely achievement, and they are a beautiful set of books. So well done, and thank you for speaking with me today. And we're really thrilled to be here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.
0: That was Sophie Singh in conversation with Bob Gardner and Shanghai Ching about the Little Bob series, story for kids and adults alike. And that brings us to the close of the show. I'm Heather Murray, and it's been great having your company tonight on Subject ACT. Stay tuned for the Serbian program, followed by the Spanish program at 7.30.